Hello, and welcome to the latest in our series of podcasts, companion to the primary care excellence work which has been created for all primary care staff in Greater Manchester. I'm Lynn Marsland. If you've missed any episodes, you can go back and download them anytime from wherever you already get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your colleagues so as many people as possible hear the series. Today, I'm joined in the studio by three guests, chaplains Jean Hurlston and Jonathan Gallagher, along with Rianne White, who is the PCN lead nurse for Staley Bridge. Welcome all, and thank you so much for taking the time out to join us today. Jean, can we begin by understanding a bit more about how the concept of chaplains in general practice got started? It started off quite a while ago with a very frustrated me as a chaplain in a hospital where I could go anywhere across the hospital campus, along to any of the wards, A&E, outpatients, but sadly I couldn't follow people out into the community. And that was a great frustration because you often build up a, a strong supportive relationship with patients and it would be great to be able to follow them out into the community. Also, I became aware that there wasn't anywhere that people could access a chaplain if they weren't in hospital at all. So it just seemed from, say, an equality and diversity perspective, access to chaplaincy was not available and we weren't really treating people fairly in that respect. I think there's also, we talk a lot about continuity of care, don't we? That if you've had access to particular support in one NHS setting, then why shouldn't you have that access when you're out with a hospital? I think that's a really fair point. So when did this current programme actually start and how did it come about? The current pilot started two years ago and we were very successful in gaining funding from Thameside and Glossop CCG, as it was then. And the money was to help set up a pilot scheme of chaplains being based in general practice. So when we thought about how people might access chaplaincy, we thought it might be a great idea to have them based in general practice. And so we started to pilot it. And Jonathan, who's here today, is one of those chaplains who is based in the practice. And results and feedback has been extremely positive. So we're going to go on and talk a bit more about the detail of what you've done and the possibilities. But when you say based in practice, tell me a little bit more about what that means and what a chaplain actually does. So a chaplain is there to support people's spiritual and emotional well-being. It also sometimes involves religious support, but not always. I think chaplains are great listeners, we're trained listeners, and I think that's what a lot of people really do need. And we've found that there are people who come perhaps to the GP, they talk about their condition, they might have 10 minutes, 
But actually what they want to do is tell their story and have somebody listen. And so having a chaplain who's around in the practice, who the doctor can refer them to, then gives access to a great conversation. And for some people, that is actually all they need to be listened to, because just hearing their own voice speaking out aloud what's happening to them in their lives can often be a therapy in itself. I think that's a really important point. We developed this series of podcasts because we were focusing on health and well-being. And it isn't just your physical health, obviously, that affects your whole health and well-being. It's also your mental, spiritual health. And we've also talked in the current climate about how people can sometimes struggle to access a clinical service and it isn't always clinical support that they need so I can very much see how that role of chaplaincy within primary care can provide something other than just having my throat looked at if I've got a sore throat for example. And I think the other thing I'd like to say is that we're not only there for the patients we're also there for the staff. It's something we're very keen on in the hospital setting So we're there to support nursing staff, porters, the cleaners. So everybody is part of that community. And we take that view into the practice as well. And that, again, is a key point for the health and well-being of our staff. We know the situation that people find themselves in. So... Jonathan, if I can just ask you, what feedback have you had from the practices, for example, staff themselves maybe, about the role of chaplaincy? Yeah, well, I've seen some patients through referrals through the complex care nurse. So although I have several GP practices that are part of the pilot study, referrals can come across the desk in the office at the PCN from social prescribers and the complex care team, for example. During the mental health patients, a good number of those were clinical staff that worked in the NHS. They were, had their own family troubles. They were distressed, some anxiety. And if you ask for help for anxiety and depression, you, you could be waiting six to nine months before you're seen. So that just leaves you feeling even more isolated and problems can compound themselves in that time. So the feedback I got from well, a particular lady I'm thinking about, she'd had um, counselling therapy before, and this was a breath of fresh air for her. There was nothing like she'd ever experienced before. I explained, I don't write anything down, I don't make a report about you, which leaves the conversation completely open then for people to just express themselves. And chaplains don't have their own agenda. We're here for the people that we meet they're in front of us and we work for those for those people and see their best interests and we can act as an advocate for those people but we give them strength to understand themselves and other people that's how this particular lady finished our our sessions she thanked me for her time and so I realized I'm in a place now where I'm confident in making decisions for myself so yeah that was a that was a quite interesting a lady that was in that clinical category of those people we're trying to help. We sometimes assume that clinicians, are, they've been trained at university and they, and they see stress and trauma. They are professionals, they should cope with these kind of things. 
But chaplains break down that barrier. We recognise the human in front of us. That's quite a powerful message. I think that's a very powerful message. And I think there's sometimes nobody worse than a clinical professional for thinking that I should be coping with all of this. We've done some podcasts on resilience and in a lot of practices, the word resilience is, well, you must be resilient. You have to be. But as you've just said there, Jonathan, people are human. That's right. Because there's a kind of a stigma attached. There's an anxiety of a war. Some shame as well, probably. Are there any particular little listening techniques that you maybe use? Yeah. Well, perhaps not good for podcasts, but (laughs) chaplains are quite good at silence. We're quite good, you know, people are quite uncomfortable, but we like to give people space to express themselves. So there's not an expectation of a conversation where it's being led in a direction. Chaplains will be with that person on the journey that they want to take us through and that they're happy with. And we walk that path with them, yeah. Silence is sometimes really positive. Well, yeah, and words are not necessary sometimes. Mm -hmm. If you're present in the moment with the person, then there's no need for words sometimes. And I think when somebody feels that there's somebody there for them, it makes you feel more valued. Yeah, definitely. Um, It empowers people knowing that they're supported and knowing that, they can come and chat to the chaplain in private any time. But we've sort of created an atmosphere. Chaplains bring an environment for a conversation. We don't lead it, but we provide the opportunity for a, for a non-judgmental conversation. And uh, it's taken up more and more by the clinical staff who want a conversation about a patient that's died. They're carrying some stress with that. So some of our nursing team will see they're on the computer and they'll see patient list and that's how they discover that their patient's not alive anymore they're dead so they'll see that on the screen and be extremely you know frustrated by that so we we want our care workers to be caring and, and attached to our patient's welfare and when that stops what does the clinical person do with their care do they bury it because it's hurtful or do they talk to the chaplain and recognise these emotions as they arise? And then later on, those memories of patients give you strength once you've gone through that process of recognising pain in, in yourself. I'm going to go back to the word that you used before, Jonathan, which was the human. So it's it's almost as if some of our processes have dehumanised the work that frontline staff are trying to do. Yeah. Well, there's a big understaffing in primary care, secondary care, and there's no time allowed, really. It's all process and procedure. And so in a hospital setting especially, there's no one that has the time to sit with a patient or a clinician and say, how's your day? What's happening with you? And for chaplains that walk the wards, we have a we're quite empathic people as well. We sort of get a sense of, oh, that person's not the usual self. Is there? So you find a quiet spot with them and you just offer help. And sometimes that's enough, that's, that's appreciated. And other times there's a bigger discussion that maybe they need your support with. But uh, it's a skill that you develop and it goes both ways. Um, Rayanne's here with us today and we're, we're off having, sharing the cases that we have together and we share each other's frustrations with those cases. And so we support each other very much part of the one team really now. 
So uh, you talked there and Jean, you began by expressing your frustration about not being able to operate in that kind of way in a primary care setting. Are all people referred to you? Is there a limit to the number of sessions that people can have? How does it actually work in practice? It differs from practice to practice. So we really are very much place-based. Jonathan has talked about his work across the PCN. Other chaplains in the pilot are actually the only chaplain in the practice. And that is actually the usual way that we've operated. One of our chaplains works one morning a week and sees about three people. We have another chaplain who works for a full day and sees eight or nine people. And I think it's important for you to know that these chaplains are all volunteers. So they've been trained and supported in the hospital setting. So they've gained really good experience of working with patients And then they've been selected to work in the practice. So there's been a lot of nurturing that's gone on and they really are experienced chaplains. So it depends on the practice. So we have discussions with them. What's the best day of the week? How long would they like to have somebody in? Have they got the space for them? So again... Some of our chaplains have a base, like a consulting room. Others only use it for short periods of time, perhaps only when somebody wants to have a confidential chat. I think the model that I absolutely love is Brenda over at Denton, who sits very comfortably in the waiting room and chats with people as they come in. So I wouldn't like people to think that if they are considering chaplaincy in their practice, that we have to have a consulting room. We just need somewhere to wander around. And to be honest, that could even be in the kitchen (laughs) because a lot of the chaplains are brewing up for people because having a cup of tea with somebody is a great way to chat and get to know them. So... I know some people have said to me, the chaplain's here, what do they know that I don't know? And it's bad news. But actually, the chaplains are just ordinary people who have big ears, who are, are trained to be with people and sit next to them at any time that they need somebody to link with. And chaplains are actually good fun as well. So as well as doing the listening and the brewing up and we tell jokes and we're actually there to bring light into the place. And somebody once described a chaplaincy moment as it was just like switching the light on in the room because they immediately felt empowered and refreshed. And sometimes the chaplain doesn't do a lot of talking But gosh, we do a lot of listening. Yeah, just being there. And reflecting for people so that we listen to what they say. And sometimes, actually, it doesn't sound as bad as I thought it really was my situation. Yeah, when you actually say it out loud. Brianne, can we come to you now? Because I think that Jonathan has been looking at some referrals from patients that you've given. Tell us a bit more about how that works and what the outcomes have been yeah it's been fantastic it's something that was 
never offered in our particular area. So I, the lead nurse for Staley Bridge, but I'm also the lead for Complex Care Service, which is a service for old people aged 65 and over. And what we found, particularly with this cohort of patients, is the disconnect from community and the lack of resource that is available for people in their own home. So when Jonathan and I met and we discussed what we can do in primary care with chaplaincy service, we decided that this is the, for me particular, this is the focus of people that we want to reconnect back into community, reconnect back into society and not suffer with this isolation and loneliness. So Jonathan and I, we speak daily, often when he's with us in the office. Quite often the referrals are conversations and I've a patient who's consented to have chaplain either phone up or go out and see. And it's not just their own homes as well that Jonathan does go out to. We have a number of care homes that we cover as well and Jonathan has been out to the care homes and connecting residents with what is going on beyond the door and beyond the walls and the feedback that we get from patients is overwhelming the positiveness and the feeling of being reconnected back into the communities. So if I was going to ask you to sell it to other PCN lead nurses and people working in complex care, what would be the key messages you'd want to get across? I would say chaplaincy should become an essential part of primary care, of healthcare. It's not just clinical side that we need to be focusing on. We need to focus on the not just mental health, the loneliness, isolation. It's a huge part of what we're trying to achieve. With our complex care, it's about proactive, preventative And just as simple as having someone to talk to and listen to, it's far better medicine than having a prescription. It's that time, it's talking, and it's not just for patients, it's clinicians as well. We see a side of life that no one else really sees. And to try and process and understand that, it needs that listening ear, it needs that time. And I feel chaplaincy has really changed things for us in primary care in the PCN we focus a lot on ourselves and become more self-aware just through talking things through and and having the chaplain to just have that time to listen and educate us as well the difference between spirituality religion Mm -hmm. connectedness it's been an amazing journey of learning so you've used the word permission there, Rianne, which I think everybody, Jonathan, you talked about it before, as did you in your introduction, giving people that permission to look after themselves so that they can then look after other people yeah. is very important. And chaplains, when we go, we don't force ourselves on people. People may assume, oh, there's a religious person in front of me, they have certain ideas. But we always ask, permission if we're in the hospital or in the um, care home we'd say can I come in Mm -hmm. can I speak to you so we're there to serve really. So I'm going to ask both of you Jean and and Jonathan I've asked Rianne how she would sell (laughs) the service if you like to other PCNs how would you because I appreciate you are all volunteers how would you sell the primary care element maybe to other 
volunteers, potential volunteers? Well, I'm actually paid for coordinating the project and the volunteers give of their time freely. But they do need to be trained and they do need to be supervised and supported. So I think it's a very, very cost-effective way of supporting patients. So I would say to anybody who's listening, who's thinking, I wonder if this would work in my practice, please get in touch and see whether we can have discussions because it's a very flexible project to run, but very, very efficient. We use local people, so the people who are in the neighbourhood. We have people who are of all faiths and no faith, but they're all trained listeners. And it would be a great project, a real asset to help and support patients. Great. And Jonathan, so how would you sell it from your experience to another potential volunteer? Oh, um, I've had a quite interesting perspective when it comes to patients because I've been working in a variety of areas and it's happened more than once where I've tracked a patient from a nursing home into hospital back to their own home. So I've been that familiar face and that continuity of care for that person. I've also, with permission, every time we, we speak to patients, ask if I can feed back to the nurse, let them know how you're getting on. So in scenarios like that, we can then be in contact with social services to make sure that, oh, this lady's care, her needs are changing. So we have a more of a speedy transition then from primary care in the hospital to a home setting. There's been other occasions where... Um, I visited somebody at the end of life and she was from a care home and I was taking messages from her friends who would miss her, you know. So her son was with her at this time, but I spoke to her and she'd been in for some weeks and when you're in hospital, there's not a lot of stimulation. So my visit brought those relationships that she had from the care home, all her friends. And so she perked up, her son was saying, oh, she's really brightened up. She would got to a stage where she was well enough to then be released home back to the care home where she passed away but she was in the surroundings where she wanted to be so that was a a powerful thing for me it was a small thing to keep people in touch but uh, that lady had a choice about where her ending was going to be and I helped with that choice yeah what an invaluable service I think we're talking about here. Jean, what are the plans? You said this was a pilot. What are the plans now going forward? Well, we've already had people from other parts of Greater Manchester asking for a service in their area. So we're out looking for funding. And I think it'd be great if it came from a central fund. We do need to make sure that the service is, although we said place-based, it does need to have certain standards. And so we would love to roll it out right across Greater Manchester. Tameside has been an absolute pioneer. I thank God for the funding that we've received from them because we've been able to also track people, their views and how they've responded. So we can share with other people how effective the project has been. And We often hear people talk about the NHS, that it's there for people from the cradle to the grave. And you know that's what chaplaincy is all about. 
It's about working with families. It's about working with individuals. And it's actually about providing support and care for people from a very young age to to the end of their life. And I think during COVID particularly, we heard more about chaplains at work. And so I think we've come to the fore and this whole idea of chaplains in general practice breathes new life into chaplaincy and makes it much more available to people who are in the community. Can I thank all three of you for coming in this afternoon, for talking to us about what just seems to be invaluable work to me. We've seen it from the chaplain's perspective, from the nursing perspective, from the patient's perspective. And I do want to say that if anybody is interested in having a pilot, then we'll make Jean's contact details available through the website and attached to this podcast when it goes live. Thank you all so much. In today's episode, we've really had an opportunity to learn more about the breadth of our health and well-being offer, not just to our patients, but to our staff as well and to meet some volunteers who give up their time to support those of us who are working in primary care. We now have a broad set of podcasts in our series. If you've missed any of them, do go back and download them for free. And we'd really love it if you could share them with your friends and colleagues. We want as many people as possible to hear the useful advice from all our amazing guests. Don't forget there's a wealth of information and advice on the Primary Care Excellence page too. All links are on the show page and you can also connect via our social media channels. For example, if you're involved in a project and you want others to know about it. The more we work together, the happier and healthier our workforce will be. This has been a Fresh Air production. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.